Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. Hi, Rod. Just before we start, listen for a uh, pretty big announcement about the podcast in the middle of the show. You'll hear it then. Cheers. In a normal year, Manchester United would be preparing to play their third Premier League game of the season. New signings would be on show. Transfer rumours would persist through the season's opening stages. Fans would have returned to Old Horn. Some making the same journey down some at Busby Way. Some meeting the same friends in the same bar in Dublin, London, Belfast, New York, Seattle, Kentucky, Johannesburg, Sydney, Perth, Delhi, Tokyo, wherever. But this is and has been no ordinary year. And so it's almost the end of August and only now can we reflect on Manchester United 2019-20 campaign, the longest in the club's history, a drawn-out season filled with ups and downs. United end the season without a trophy for the third consecutive year, but they also ended three places higher in the Premier League than last year. Fewer goals conceded and more goals scored, but they achieved the same number of points, not any more, 66 points in the Premier League. And these contradictions is why it's so hard to sum up United's season, but that's what we're doing today. Welcome back to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast for the penultimate episode of series five coming up next week a special episode on the making of mason greenwood but for the next 45 minutes or so we're reviewing the season we'll be talking about where the improvements have been over the season where future improvements must be we'll quickly run through our best player of the season moment goal and match etc and then we'll discuss what is united's best 11 right now how many of our squad are title winning or potential title winning players and then we'll return to the topic we we can never avoid at this time of year which is transfers and then we'll wrap things up after that so let's get stuck here jack it's been a long season and we've certainly felt that um, including special episodes this season we've had we've had 50 episodes and I suppose if you went back and listened to the episodes that we recorded in the wake of Manchester United 2 Burnley 2 or Watford 2 Manchester United 0 there would be some some very frustrated conversations and the same was true eight months later just the other week when we lost to Sevilla and yet in between and before were some incredible matches some incredible highs and moments and I guess all of this is to say it's been a strange season but it's kind of been a good one and what's important to talk about is where has the main improvement been compared to last year I think it has to be in defence certainly hasn't been perfect and there is still a long way for us to go in terms of improving in defence but our defensive record has been the single most important factor in improving our outcome this season. If you look at the table from last season and this season, we scored only one more goal this season yeah. than last, 65 in 18-19 and 66 this season. But we conceded 18 less goals. That I mean, that is the difference. That is fundamentally the difference between Manchester United a year ago and Manchester United now. That is a huge difference that's won us so many points across the season. We had the ninth best defensive record last season. And we've taken that from ninth best to third best yeah. this season. 
City and Liverpool combined conceded less goals than we did last season. And admittedly, <laughs> they have both regressed to the mean a little bit and, it, and conceded yeah. more this season. But we were only conceded one more than City and three more than Liverpool this season. There's a lot more to be done and that. You know, we, we'll come on to this later. I think defence is actually still one of, if not the biggest focus for the, for this upcoming transfer window. But that is the biggest single source of improvement across the season, I think, undoubtedly. Yeah. And at times it's kind of, you've watched the defence and thought, how is this team got one of the best defensive records in Europe? But it, it does. It's it's, it's, yeah. it's like any, there's there's lots of sportsmen and, and sportswomen like this who have kind of a strange technique, but they they manage to to deliver what they're meant to be there. Um, and, and United's defence... we ended up with the most clean sheets in Europe at the end of the season. We didn't have the best defensive record, but I think it was most clean sheets. Yeah, now, see, see, that's crazy because there's been so many times when you've looked at United's defence and there's been some kind of mishap or or two yeah. or three within the space of a couple of minutes. Um, and, and we're so used to that. And I don't think anyone trusts this United defence, but it has it has delivered results. And it's not the same way as, as under Van Gaal when, for example, Chris Smalling looked brilliant because he had a very stodgy team in front of him who all did the defensive work and and did very little attacking very boring kept possession a lot and and conceded few chances and so conceded not many goals United's team has sat back at times but in general has have, have dominated the games they're in and still we've managed to have this good defensive record so it, it's certainly a positive no matter how worrying uh it might be at times it, it's certainly a positive but I think I think for me that there's, there's two main things and the first, and this this isn't a, a quantifiable thing, and it's it's perhaps most linked to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and, and we've said this I think a lot when reviewing him as a manager is just the the, the mood and the sense that United are in the right direction now, and the the defence plays a, a, a contributing factor to that, but also you've got this this really exciting young front line front three, and a Manchester United lead for goals scored by under twenty fives in all competitions out of all of Europe's top five leagues, the teams in those leagues this season. So that you've got this this combined factor of the improved defence and a really young and exciting front three. I think that age is, is a huge factor. We had the youngest starting eleven on average in the Premier League all season, just ahead of Chelsea. And that is a, a huge part of this. You know, it's not just... Yeah. I don't think when, when you look across the season, I actually don't think other than defence, there's been many areas that are massively better than they were last season especially last season under Solskjaer yeah I think what's happened though is that there's been small improvements in a lot of areas and where those improvements have happened are in places where you expect there to be more growth coming yeah so you think of the front line exactly like you said coming from last season where we had normally Lukaku up front Lukaku is a very good player and, and I don't think was too bad for us but I didn't really see Lukaku improving that much at United. He'd already kind of hit his peak. But now you look at Greenwood, obviously he's only 17, there's so far to go. Rashford has been improving and had his best season ever at United. Martial probably had just had the best two, three months stretch he's ever had in his career. You know, these are players that you think can improve. And I think that is the biggest thing. It's the same, you know, when you look at Aaron Wan-Bissaka, right back, think of Scott McTominay in midfield. Even Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes, even if they can't improve, have improved others around them. I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. I don't actually think, apart from the defensive record, that we are that much better now than we were this time last season. But I think well, the room for growth now is so much higher than it was this time last year. Yeah, and I, I also think that one of the big positives is 
that it's not been huge improvements within certain players, but I think most people would say Marcus Rashford had a better year this this year than he did last year. And the same could be said for Anthony Martial, Luke Shaw, Brandon Williams has come in. I think Wan-Bissaka has improved over the course of the season. I think Lindelof has improved over the course of the season. McTominay has, Matic has. Uh, yeah. and, and there's definitely, you, you, you watch Anthony Martial and Rashford in particular now, and you can see the influence of Solskjaer and, or, uh, and the United coaches on their development. And I, I don't think under Mourinho, for example, I don't always want to bring it back to the previous manager because you're kind of drawing yourself to a, a bad comparison, but we didn't see that. And being able to look back at last August and see the players that we had then and see how they've improved over the course of the season is, is a massive positive. Well, it's what we've banged on about for years, ever since the Van Gaal era, is that when we sign players or when players come through the academy we seem unable to make players improve once they get to the, the United yeah. first team. I can't remember the last time yeah. we signed a player that came in that were was a good player and then we turned them into a world-class player. It just doesn't happen at United anymore. And that is honestly... Yeah, whereas Wan-Bissaka this season, I think as recently as... Well, uh, in, in fact, late December, I remember talking about this quite consistently saying Wambasaka has been an incredible tackler, his reading of the game and his, the timing of his tackle has been uh, sensational and, and at times breathtaking. And it genuinely is. It, it is great to watch him go in for a tackle, but his attacking play wasn't good enough. And not just wasn't good enough, but was so far from good enough. He was offering so little. Yeah. And now you look and, and there's signs of, he, he's, he, he's not good enough yet, but He's he's he he's managed to add to his game certain manoeuvres, the the cutback and then the cross on his on his left foot, his weaker foot, uh, that that got the assist for Martial at Chelsea at Stamford Bridge away, and he's done that time yeah, and time he loves again. That stop start move as well. Yeah, and and it's not just him; it's Martial as well. We're seeing is a, is a much better with with his back to goal. Is is learning when he needs to come back and drop deep to get the ball and, and, and run onto to the goal. So there, there's those little things, and and they're, they're massive improvements. And we're, we're going to move on to where future improvements can be in just a second. But I think I think there's a lot of improvements. We can't go through them all, and I think we have kind of discuss them over the course of the season obviously but any others you want to note now no I, I think that's it it's, it really is just I think almost every player has made a small improvement this season I think that's that's the thing it's other than the defensive record it's hard to pinpoint one exact area where so much has changed but it's just been small improvements all over the pitch that have then added up to, to be yeah. a team that is I think anyway quite considerably better than it yeah. was both at the end there of is, last season and at the start of this there, season. There's, there's one more thing I'd say is that uh, since, let's say, January, I can't I can't put, pinpoint it, um, but United's reputation and the things that United have done have massively improved. So I'm, I'm mainly talking off the pitch and, and the relations with the fans, uh, the connection between players, manager yeah. fans, but That's also um, just between the club. And that doesn't mean that relations with Edward Woods or the Glazers have improved. I still think the vast majority of United fans remain, well, well, f- furious and, and some sometimes disgusted at, at, at the way the Glazers run the club and, and the way they take dividends out, even in a, a time of a global pandemic while citing lack of transfer funds for the reasons for not signing Jadon Sancho. But there, there, there remains that, that sentiment. But... There have been other things like United keeping all their workers um, 
still paying all their workers and saying you you don't have to come and work for us but you should go out and volunteer to help your local community that's that's a, a brilliant thing to do and united have done similar things time and time again this season um and that's a massive change i don't think that's been the case for for a decade at united um and it, it was always a really sad thing to look at your own club and think you're you're not a great set of people at the top there and now you look and think there are there are bad apples there but it's it's been a reminder of how many good people there are at Manchester United as a an institution and that's really nice um let's let's go on to where where our future improvements can be if you if you were telling Ole Gunnar Solskjaer now you are sat down with him and you have to say the one thing I want to see United improve next season what would it be I think I'd start by asking him how long it normally takes him to make a sub in any given game. And when he tells me it's the 85th minute, I'd be like, there's your answer, because <laughs> we need some better squad depth. I mean, it, I think it, it's the, the complete yeah. obvious obvious answer. You know, obviously we need we need some signings on the pitch. You know, Jaden Sancho would be great. A new centre-back to partner Harry Maguire would be great. You know, maybe another midfielder, but the squad depth is is the biggest thing. I mean... You saw it, and admittedly, the last few months have been strange as we're playing a lot more games in a shortened period of time than we normally would. But, I mean, you could see it. Yeah. Because Solskjaer has no faith in, in his bench, which I actually completely understand, it just means that, one, we play the same 11 every single week and teams learn how to play against us. But two, and more importantly, yeah. we, we were just exhausted. I mean, ever since... It was really the Southampton game, the two-all draw, that was the big turning point. Ever since that game... We've we've looked knackered every single game. When we came back against Copenhagen, it looked a little bit better, but then obviously got taken to extra time. And then against Sevilla, we just lost our legs at the end. Yeah. And and we can't keep playing the same eleven over and over again. And that goes back to the squad depth. And we, yeah. and, and we also, when we are drawing or losing a game and we need someone to change the game, there isn't really anyone for Solskjaer to turn to. And I do feel for him in, in that regard. It, it, I, I think he could, you know, react to things better in games, but he doesn't have the players. And that, as as we've said so many times before on here, Man City are, are the model for this in that you can never have too many good players and it's on to, up to the manager to manage them, which Pep Guardiola has done brilliantly at Man City. And it shouldn't be that you have one first 11 and then one second 11 that are all on the bench. Yeah. You should have 15, 16 players that are good enough to all be in your first starting 11. Well, yeah, look, look if you take away Bruno Fernandes from the situation and, and you're, I think you're saying something slightly different because... I think I saw this, and I'll check this after and, and correct myself if not. But I think Andreas Pereira is, is is the player with the most minutes at in that attacking midfield position or that third midfield position for United this season, which is al- almost beyond belief. That's a sobering reality, yeah. So without Bruno Fernandes in that team, you're saying this needs a, an urgent injection of quality. Because he's there and because Paul Pobb has come back, I think the focus has shifted onto squad depth and rightly so. We're actually going to talk in, in a few minutes about is every player good enough to be in a title winning squad? So we'll do that in a bit. But in terms of squad depth, you have got this weird contradiction. I think we've spoken about this. So I won't do it for too long, but I think Solskjaer should have used someone like Odin Agalo much more in the, the Europa League um, and in, in, the, in the weeks building up to the end of the season after, after football restarted. Agalo did a great job for United before lockdown and then was 
basically ignored or brought on at the 89th minute, in, in which case he's not going to do anything. And you had other players, you had Tease Chong, Dan James, who you can't rely on. And, and there's no pretending about that. You, you cannot rely on them to, to change the game for you. But if they'd been used earlier in games when United were winning, then maybe they would have been more ready, more confident to to be able to rely on when when things actually mattered. So Solskjaer clearly mismanaged that in some regards on the other hand the squad depth is appalling and you look at United's second options to replace Martial not good enough Rashford not good enough Greenman not good enough the midfield well now you're really in trouble and when you take Harry Maguire out of the equation then you're looking at a really shaky defence or at least you would feel it would be a shaky defence so yeah Massive problem. Um, we've mentioned the fullbacks in attack as well. Uh, I said that's improved, but I think that needs to be built on next season. And I think something we saw in the severe game and the Copenhagen game too, um, game management. This this team is still really young and and sometimes quite naive. Big time. Uh, and the, that naivety, I think, is pervasive across both the players and the coaching staff, to be honest. You know, I think Solskjaer is still a pretty inexperienced manager and I, we shouldn't expect him. And I certainly don't expect him to be an expert at managing these games. But it is an area we need to improve on, you know, just as as you think towards the end of the season, we yeah. there's a lot of games that we just didn't see the game out properly. I go back to the Southampton game where, you know, I was livid after that game with the way we tried to see it out and ended up conceding to to draw the game 2-2. Even against Sevilla, you know, we, we didn't do a good enough job of, of understanding, you know, all right, we need a breather here. Let's just keep the ball for five or 10 minutes. And we couldn't do it. It was all... For a lack of a better word, it was all helter-skelter football all the time, which is fun to watch, but it means, one, your players are going to get tired very, very quickly, and two, you leave yourself open at the back. Yeah. And we do need to figure out how do we manage a game. And it was the same thing against Sevilla after we went ahead as well. I was also furious about this, about you know why after we take the lead is our default reaction to then sit back and invite pressure. We used to do it under Mourinho, and it cost us so many times. We used to hate it. And I still hate it now. And we need, and it it needs to come from the coaching staff to instill a different mindset in the players, or to get rid of that mindset that we have at the moment. It's something that comes with experience, though. It, you know, every young team struggles with this. And I think the good thing is that you do see a little bit. I, start, I really hate the word project in football now, but you you do see a little bit of a, of a project building yeah. at United. Of this is a young team kind of being molded in Solskjaer's image. And it will get better with experience. You know, as painful as they have been, the three semi-final defeats this season will stand us in good stead going forward because it's yeah. experience that we can learn from. And it will come, but it needs, I think, a, it needs to be something that we see some improvement in next season, definitely, because I think for most of us, next season should be the time when we're sort of building towards launching a, a full assault on the Premier League title in 2021-22. Yeah, I, th- I think what's nice about this United team is that while we're all desperate to to make some signings or to see United make some signings, um, wh- whoever that may be, even if United didn't sign anyone, and and this would be a, a huge mistake, I'm not, not saying that's the right thing to do, but even if United didn't sign anyone, the team would be better next year because... Mason Green would be, would be another year older, another year under his belt. Same for Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial, uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, uh, Lindelof, who, who who looks better the more he plays. And, and the same would be true for McTominay. You, you, you're welcoming new young players into the mix. So that's I think that's a, a, re, a real positive. Um, and then when you add good transfers in, and we'll talk about transfers later, then 
you should be on your way to something um, and, and you've got to hope that we will be. Right, let's go on to our bests of the season. We'll start with goal. Um, my two best goals of the season or the two I enjoyed most, uh, well, actually not enjoyed most, but appreciated most for their their, their quality as goals rather than their, their moments. Um, but Anthony Martial against Norwich where he kind of missed a chance and then uh, just completely did the keeper with a, a kind of a Cruyff turn and then a chip over the goalkeeper was incredible. And also Odin Agard against uh, Las Glins away from home, which was a real shame. I mean, that was the first game behind closed doors and it's a real shame that no fans were there to witness that because that was a, an incredible goal. The kind of three touches down between left foot, right foot, left foot, and then absolutely screamer. So those are my two goals, Jack. What are yours? Yeah, I was saying Martial versus Norwich on my list. Um... Also had Martial versus Bournemouth recently in lockdown, our third goal in that game. He picks up the ball on the left, cuts inside and bends it just beautifully into the far corner. But yeah. the goal for me that I, I would give as my goal of the season by quite some distance, to be honest, would be Bruno Fernandes against Brighton. Just an amazing counter-attack. I love counter-attacking goals. And just watching that over and over again, it never gets tired. That pass from Matic, you know, the run and the cross by Greenwood and then Fernandes' finish yeah. is just... Yeah just sublime to watch and I think it's classic Man United yeah you're right that that goal had everything about it or everything apart from the the reaction and the the celebration with the fans after that that would normally have have, have greeted it yeah. yeah it reminds me a lot of a of a goal that I watched the other day actually of uh Rooney against Arsenal back in I think it would have been 2010 where yeah. the black awakened yeah he had a couple against Arsenal like yeah that. Yeah, he had, I think, two at the Emirates of the, the counter-attacking goals, one with Ronaldo and one with Park, I think. Yeah, and one the, with Dean the one with Ronaldo, well, actually. yeah, and this one was with Nani and Park. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So some some great goals this season, to be fair. And and, and what's nice is that they're not, they're not all just individual goals. Some are that, that brilliant counter-attacking goal against Brighton that, that, that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, best moment of the season. Uh, this is one I... It's, it's, it's difficult to... Sum up. I'd probably say McTominay the, the second goal against City because it it as as yeah. a moment it had everything. And I've I think it's got to be yeah yeah. I've 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 not come away feeling like that from a football game for. I mean, just you you rarely get those feelings and and to to be to beat your rivals, but to wrap it up with a, an extra goal just as it looked like they might get an equaliser. I I don't know what happens in in your brain and your body when something like that happens but it's it's something special yeah it really is that i mean i, I don't think that that can be topped that was a not just a properly good se- moment for this season but a properly good moment i think to rival a lot that has happened in the last decade at man united it was a properly yeah. properly good moment just like you said the emotion of the whole thing you know it was a last game as well with, with fans in our last premier league game before lockdown we were hanging on by the skin of our teeth and we it just felt like City were going to grab a goal. It felt inevitable, like it was coming. Yeah. For us not only to hold on, but... And the other thing is as well, the goal came out of nowhere. I remember every time I watch it, I'm expecting the commentator or or the fans to kind of realise that the ball is falling to McTominay before <laughs> they do. And no one really seemed yeah. to realise what was happening until the ball is almost in the net. Like any commentary that you watch on it, they don't even start really talking about it until the ball's in the net. Even the fans don't start standing up really until the ball is in the air. It's one of those things that kind of, it came out of nowhere and just, I mean, what a moment, the McTominay celebration in front of the fans. I think if I was going to pick out another one, it would probably, I'd probably go all the way back to the opening day of the season to when, Matt, yeah. uh, I believe it was Rashford scored, we scored two goals in the space of about two minutes to take the game away from Chelsea to make it 3-1. 
Yeah. Uh, Pogba's ball over the top into Rashford, takes a great touch and slides it under Kepa. I thought that was a really, really good moment because we didn't really know what to expect coming into the season. Yeah, because um, we, we'd and, been terrible you know, at the, the the back end of the season before. We'd been terrible. But yeah. The, yeah. And we'd yeah. had a pretty bad preseason too. Yeah. I and then we came in and, and, you know, those two goals in two minutes, at least personally, really just lit the fire in me again. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the the McTominay one, I remember I was selling United We Stand that day and really you meant to leave a couple of minutes before um, before full time to make sure you can get out there when the, the masses are coming out. But it was a derby and, and I, I didn't want to leave. So I, I didn't leave, but I had this box or maybe it was a, a plastic bag full of fanzines and I was just waiting to to leave the stadium as soon as the full-time whistle went or maybe maybe a bit after and then McTominay <laughs> scores and they're just I, people were flying everywhere and, and I, was, I was I was just all I was focusing on was holding on to this bag of fanzines while hugging random strangers and, and going flying in the air and that was yeah that was pretty spectacular in terms of the best match that that's up there but I think the the away game at City in the league the 2-1 um was was pretty special as well yeah and play of the season this was actually actually a lot harder than i thought it was going to be yeah same because i was thinking i i think there's quite a lot of players who had very good spells in the season but i don't think there's one player that was like at their best the entire season i would say the three the three that come to mind would be rashford martial and bruno fernandez now i don't love giving it to bruno fernandez because yeah. One, you know, he's only been here since January. And two, despite how good he's been, I think he's also had a number of pretty poor performances recently. Yeah, I'd agree. To go along with, you know, the genuinely world-class performances we were getting in his first sort of 10, 12 games in any United shirt. So then it comes down to Rash- Rashford and Martial. And I think recency bias is going to make me go towards Martial simply because he's been yeah. so good post-lockdown. And also because he he played more of the season, you know, Rashford was out for a big chunk of it. But it's worth remembering how good Rashford was in the first half of the year. You know, he was on course yeah, for yeah. potentially a 30 goal season. He still ended up with, what was it, 20, 24, 25, uh, despite missing, you know, over, over two months. So I'd probably go Martial. And I think a lot of that is down to recency bias, but Rashford a very close second. Yeah, it, it, it is a really hard question because Fernandez is the, the, the obvious candidate and... I think the only reason I, I wouldn't give it to him, look, he, he clearly he changed our season. He, he completely turned it round, and 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 I think it's it's fair to to say that that's down to him. Um, I don't think that's doing discredit to the other members of the squad. On the other hand, that's five months, or well, it would normally be four or five months. It was obviously stretched out, but it's four or five months of of playing, um, and and he did. I think for most of lockdown, he was quite poor bar a few moments I think reasonably so he was very tired after about three games of it because he played so much yeah um and was never rested I think it was after the Norwich FA Cup game that he started to go downhill so he's the obvious candidate but you've then got Rashford who carried United all the way into January I remember when he got injured thinking I hope he's not out for too long I hope he's only out for a couple of weeks kind of because he needs to get back and then he can compete for the golden boot because he was on course to to win the golden boot um which would have been incredible uh, 22 years old yeah uh, as it turns out he's been incredible off the pitch as well so there's that Martial definitely recently been United's best player on the other hand he had a couple of barren spells and had some some really poor games as well so you've got all of that and I was asked about this recently for for an article and I ended up saying Aaron Maguire because he was the most consistently 
good United player. And I say good like that because I don't think he's ever really had a great game. Obviously, he's a centre-back, so it's a little harder to stand out. And I don't think he's been good enough. But he has played every Premier League minute and has been United's captain for six months um, and played kind of kind of good for, for, for most of that time without too many mishaps. Um, so I, I don't want to give it to Maguire because he's not been United's best player. Uh, but he is what I, I said the other day when asked about this question. I, I, I think I'd give it to... It, it's just it's one you can't answer because there's so many there's so many players who had good six months. Mm, yeah. Um, so I think there's that. I'm gonna I'm gonna cop out of it. <laughs> I don't know if the listeners will let you get away with that one. <laughs> I, I think it, it's a tough one because I think for consistency I probably would go Maguire. I think he's been a solid seven out of ten for most of the season. Yeah. And, and he's never really deviated away from that very much. You kind of know what you're gonna get from him. Yeah. And so it really comes down to what you prefer given this award for sort of the players who have produced the highest level of play. Because I think if you're going on that, it would be Rashford or Martial or maybe Fernandez. Because I think they have both had, yeah. in Rashford and Martial, genuine sort of nine, nine and a half out of ten spells for a month or two each at a time. Yeah. But they've also had some some spells. You know, Rashford has, hasn't been very good since since lockdown came back. I don't know if he maybe never got back fully fit from his injury. You know, Martial, like you said, had a pretty barren run earlier in the season so it's it's tough it, it really depends what you go for whether you go for I'll consistency give it to, or sort of the highest level I'll give it to Rashford for the mixture of carrying <laughs> us until January which I, th- I think he did for the incredible yeah. free kick which we forgot to mention in goal of the season against Chelsea yeah, I don't know how we missed that one out but that's up there with the best free kicks I've, I've ever Honestly, seen I forget that was even this season it feels like it feels like a yeah, it does. It it feels so long ago, which is why we've forgotten it. But that that is one of the best free kicks I've ever seen, and I think I, I will ever see. And for being an absolute hero off the pitch, so I'll, I'll give it to Rashford. Hi everyone, it's Harry here with the announcement I trailed at the start. Uh, the announcement is that we are joining Patreon now. For many of you, this will be uh, not another podcast joining Patreon, and for others, this will be what are you talking about? Um, hopefully, this next minute or so will answer all of your queries. So basically, Patreon is a platform where so-called content creators can share additional bonus content in return for a little bit of money. So you, the listener, gets the chance to get more episodes of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast and add free episodes and loads more. And in return, you give us a few quid or dollars a month. Um, we've signed up to it because we've done this show running at a bit of a loss for almost five years now, and it would basically be nice to cover costs of podcast hosting, equipment, time, editing, whatever. Um, but even more than that, and I, I do actually mean this, um, I, I do really want to do more with the podcast, but I can't really justify it without getting a bit of money for it. I can't spend more hours on the podcast for free, basically, um, because we, we do need to make a living. Um, so how much is it and and how do you find out more information? Well, for both of those things, go to Patreon. That's spelt P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Man UTD Weekly Pod. That's Man United Weekly Podcast, but Man UTD Weekly Pod, P-O-D at the end there. Or go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. Um, you'll find out all the information there, but basically there are four tiers of patronship. You can be a supporter for a couple of quid a month and you'll get ad-free episodes in return. For just over five, depending on your currency, you'll get one additional bonus episode exclusively for you each month and a shout out on the show. For just over a tenner, you can get all of that and be a member of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast WhatsApp group where we 
can chat about United and anything else. You'll also get an exclusive Q&A section at the end of every show we record. And for £20 or $20 or around about there a month, you can get even more bonus episodes coming from me every time I go to report on a game at Old Trafford or on a wayground. I'll be talking to, to journalists um, who I know in the press box, people like Andy Mitten, Simon Peach, Mark Ogden, etc. You'll also get all extended versions of the interviews. So we've spoken to people like Andy Mitten and Simon Peach, but also people like Clive Tildesley, Barney Chilton, Daniel Harris, and you'll get the extended versions of the interviews um, when we do them. Um, I hope that all makes sense. And for anyone who does sign up or at least is even interested in signing up, thank you. Um, I, I really do appreciate it. Um, and I'll, I'll let you get back to the show now. So let's carry on with part two of the season review of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for listening. Right, welcome back after the break to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast season review. Uh, second part of the show, we're going to talk about what is Manchester United's best eleven. Uh, we're going to go through every player in the squad and say whether they are good enough to be a part of a Manchester United title-winning team. And then we'll talk about transfers because we, we can't avoid that subject. Jack, starting off... Um, I think I briefly alluded to this in the, in the first part of the show. We're, we're kind of talking about what is our best 11, but also can you guess the squad or the, the team that has played the most based on minutes this season? Because um, I was I was quite surprised at this. If we, if we skip the goalkeeper, because it's obviously David De Gea, beyond that, you're getting into some some interesting territory. So what would you guess would be the the back four that played most for, for Manchester United this season? Until you 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 phrased it like that, I was about to say I think the back four will be the easiest part of it, but the, the way you the way your tone there suggests that there's some kind of surprise hidden in here. <laughs> I mean, I would I mean I know Harry Maguire is in there because he played every minute. I would assume Victor Lindelof is in there as well because he didn't really have any yeah. extended injuries and he he pretty much played every game when he was fit. The same with Wan Bissaka. I'm just thinking was Shaw injured enough. Or, and or getting rotated enough at some point in the season that Williams would have more minutes. Is this in all, all competitions? I I actually don't know. What this is not. I think it's all competitions. But I I, I must have I must have phrased it, phrased it in an interesting way. It's actually very simple. You're you're right. Wan Bissaka, Lindelof, Maguire, and Shaw. The interesting bit is when you when you get oh, to. Okay. <laughs> I was just reading too much into it. <laughs> yeah, the interesting bit is when you get into the 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 kind of front. What we call it, front six. Um, so firstly the the two in midfield behind the forward line who do you guess those would be one I'm pretty confident would be Fred yeah because yeah, he played right pretty then. much every game until lockdown yeah uh, then between McTominay and Matic probably because he played every game post lockdown probably Matic yeah yeah um, so Fred and Matic midfield too Oh, I'm going to give you Rashford on the left wing and, and Martial up front because I don't, yeah. I don't think there's much doubt about that the interesting one is uh, the right winger and the attacking midfielder. So I think from something that you said before the break, <laughs> it could it could be Bruno Fernandes because I think I, rem- I remember you saying that Pereira, other than Bruno Fernandes, has played the most minutes in that attacking midfield role. So I think that means Fernandes is first in the attacking midfield. Interesting. I'll, I'll... Right wing, it honestly... So I guess it's a toss-up between Dan James, Mason Greenwood, and honestly it could still be Pereira again. Yeah, that's true. Right wing. Yeah. Well, um, so uh, the, according to the stats I have here, and I'm beholden to the, the right. provider of the stat, the most used player on the right wing was Dan James, which isn't entirely surprising, right. although he, he barely played for the second half of the season, so it, it is a little bit. Yeah, but I guess up until February, he was 
start in most games. Yeah, and the most used attacking midfielder is actually Andreas Pereira ahead of Bruno Fernandes, which which oh, blows wow. my mind. It's, it's it's incredible. And then you've got people like Fernandes, McTominay, Greenwood, Williams, all on the bench of the most the most commonly used um, players in the Manchester United team this season. You know, I was actually thinking this the other day. I was watching, I don't know why it came up. I think I think maybe it was on like the Man United Facebook page or something. But I was watching the highlights of the first game of the season against Chelsea and saw Pereira playing. And I actually, it, honestly, because it feels so yeah. long ago, I almost completely forget that Pereira was actually a starter for us for the first half of the season. Yeah, and, and, and to be honest, look, he, he had some some really poor games, actually. But he also had, I think, I think it was Burnley away, which was... Uh, I went to that. It wasn't Boxing Day. It was the 28th of December, I think. And he played on the right midfield position, I think. And everyone thought, "What? Well, why is he starting this game? And he, he just, he, he fulfilled his role to perfection and just broke everything up yeah. for Burnley, pressed really well, counterattacked really well. And then we haven't seen him at all, which I'm, I'm, I'm quite kind of happy about because he's, he hasn't shown himself to be good enough for United, but you, yeah, he was he was such a regular, and I think it's because it seems so far away now that we don't really remember the the United team that had Dan James Pereira in it and and McTominay and Fred. But it, yeah, that, that was that was this season, which is point. is very strange. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. It just feels it. Was it was it Pereira who assisted Martial's goal against Burnley away when he won the ball back on the right? Yeah, or, or was that someone else? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, and that that was a yeah. That was a great game, actually, um, away at Burnley. Yeah, it was. Um, right, we we were asked a question by Angel D. Cruz on Twitter uh, quite a few weeks ago, actually, and I said we'd come back to it at the end of the season because he said, can you speak about each position in the United team and give us a brief analysis on whether we have a player who has title-winning qualities in that position or are they just good? Um, you guys had a great point last episode about Solskjaer and man management, but also his inability to overachieve. I think what he's referring to is that we said Solskjaer is a good manager and could win the league with a very good United team, but he won't do it with a team who isn't the very best squad in the Premier League, which United obviously don't have for now. And I think the categories of a title-winning squad uh, are, the, are the following. You've got the, the sold players, so people who will be moved on before United win a title, the backup players, uh, who, who will be used infrequently as a squad player. And then the rotational players will come in and out, the starting eleven and the key players. So I thought we could go through the United team and decide w- which category each player falls into. Um, so Jack, I'll, I'll let you start with the um, the goalkeepers and the defence, if you like. Yeah, and straight away we, we kind of run into a bit of a problem with the goalkeeper. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I would... I mean, okay, I, I would say regardless of whether it's De Gea or Dean Henderson, I think either one of them is a key player next season, regardless yeah. of who yeah. it is. So I, th- I think we can we can table the De Gea-Dean Henderson discussion for another time, but yeah, either way, it's fair. a key player. Then I, I guess moving into defence, I think you, you'd put Harry Maguire as, as the the key player in the, in the defence, obviously club captain. And I think despite the fact that, you know, he's obviously made his mistakes and, and we do need to improve in the defence, I don't think he is a candidate to be you know, sold or even put down to the bench. I think he is the key player in, in that back line. See, that's it, that's interesting because I, I completely agree. He's obviously not anywhere near being being sold or anything. And he, he, I think he could very easily be a starting uh, centre-back when United or if United win the league. But I would describe him as a starting player rather than a key player in a title-winning team. I think in terms of his quality, I agree. But not in terms of his role at United, what it is yeah, at the moment. Yeah. That's true. That's true. 
Um, the, the fullbacks though, Wambasaka, Luke Shaw, Brandon Williams, Diego Dallo even. I think Wambasaka, you'd have to say starting 11. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I don't think he's in any danger of us signing anyone to replace him, especially not at this juncture. Yeah. You know, there, there are definitely limitations to his game, but it's not necessarily a problem area for us. And, he's, and, his, th- and his improvement I, has shown that there's potentially more to come. Yeah, I, th- I think with Wambasaka, it's... I think sometimes we're unfair to him because he's he's still really young and he was signed yeah. for fifty million and he's he's such a good defender, um and and he's got so many years to improve uh and I th- yeah I think I think sometimes we kind of think ah oh, he's 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 not Trent Alexander Arnold or he's he's not one of these great fullbacks who who can provide goals and assists and everything, um but he's he's quite he could easily be a starter for a, a title winning team I think and I don't think yeah. there's much doubt about that. No, I agree. Then I guess if you if you move over to left back and Luke Shaw, I think he's he's a starting eleven player, but a, a potential candidate to be replaced in the next year or two if he performs at the same level. Uh, we've spoken about this before. He, Luke Shaw, I don't think drags us yeah. down, but he also doesn't push it up anywhere. He, he's Luke uh, Shaw. Yeah. I think is a perfect embodiment of Man United's level at the moment. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I think I, th- I think for me. <laughs> If if you sure wouldn't get into any of the title winning teams of the last few years, if and I think if you put no. it like that, then you think well he's he could be the backup or the rotational left back for United if they are going to go and, and and win a league or at least challenge for the title rather than the starting player. Um, I think then Williams uh, is a is another very good squad player. I don't think he's he's going to be United's starting player if they win the league. Um, the centre backs are an interesting. One. We've mentioned Maguire and. I think Maguire's obviously a starter, as I said. Um, and then you think with a good centre-back next to him, a good pacey um, centre-back who can make up for his deficiencies, he'll look a lot uh, even better than he does now, which is pretty good at, at the moment he looks. He cost United too much, yes, but does your defence need to have a, a Ferdinand or a Vidic, which Maguire isn't? Does it need to have one of those players in it to win a title? I'm I'm just not convinced by that. Obviously, Virgil van Dijk has taken Liverpool over kind of the, the precipice, but does every title-winning team need to have that defender in it? I'm not sure it does. City had Otamendi, Mangala, Nastasic. Uh, company was great, but injured a, a lot of the time. Um, Leicester didn't have a, a particularly incredible centre-back when they, when they won the title. Wes Morgan was their captain. I, I just, I think United could win a title getting away with Maguire and another good centre-back. Is that person Victor Lindelof, though? No, I don't think it is. I, and I like Lindelof, but I don't think he is good enough to, to start every single week in a title-winning team. Him and Maguire don't seem to have the best partnership. Their games don't complement each other. We we, we need a, a much faster centre-back. And honestly, I think Eric yeah. Bailly, his game suits playing with Maguire. He, we just can't trust him to stay fit is, is the problem. Um so someone in that mould is definitely needed next to Maguire, I think. And Lindelof yeah. is would be a very, very good, you know, rotational player. I think he's kind of similar to what Johnny Evans gave to us back in sort of the late two thousands and early twenty tens. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think Lindelof is a is a good defender. Um, and a lovely story's just come about come out about him actually in the last hour or so about him helping a ninety year old woman uh, who was being robbed in the street. And, and tackling her rubber down and, and keeping him until the police arrive. So he's gone up in my estimation just for that. Um, I think he's a, a good defender and I think he's improved a lot since he joined United. So he he could definitely be a squad member of a United title winning team. Would he be the starting centre-back? 
I don't think so. Um, let's go on to the the midfield. And the the problem you have here is you've got Pop and Fernandez. I think that's a given. Both of those are key players in a in a Premier League winning team. The third midfielder and United yeah, are, are playing a third man in midfield is where you get into the uh, the, the the mix because if you mix together Fred McTominay and Matic, you've you've got the perfect third midfielder. Unfortunately, we, we, we can't do that. Um, and that person needs to be found or United needs to survive this next season by rotating the three of those players, Fred, Matic and McTominay, depending on what the game calls for. And it's not the perfect solution, but I think that's possible. I think United can get away with doing that next year. Um, and that you, you could United could do with another midfield option, but the problem is, can you find someone who's better than those three? Um, to be that option and if you can't is there much point in signing a midfielder is there much point in signing someone like Mark Rocker from Espanyol um, or the Wilmar Barrios from from Zenit both of whom are uh, exciting prospects but is it worth bringing them in if they're not going to be better than Fred McTominay or Matic and it's yeah it's it's, it's a hard question to answer what would what would yours be? Yeah I, th- I think the issue is that all three of those players are rotational players. They're not bad by yeah. any stretch of the imagination and each individually can add quite a lot to our team. You know, they offer very different things and they're good options to have. The problem is that yeah. we're relying on them to start every week and they should be able to come in, you know, when we want to make a tactical change, when we want to be a little bit more defensive, we can bring in Matic. When we want to have a bit more energy in midfield, we bring in Fred. When we want to have someone who can really stretch their legs and get box to box, we bring in McTominay. But ideally, they yeah. wouldn't have to be the starter. I think that's the difference. Yeah, agreed. So that's so. I, I think I'd put all three of them in the rotational player category. I think with Matic, probably the starter at the start of the season, but very much not sense. Yeah, but he's not the starter in a league-winning season because he just can't do it for an entire year. And I think I think we've seen that time and time again. He has this great spell of 10, 15 games, and then his legs start to go. And he, you just wish you could have him six years before. Or I saw I saw someone write, you wish you could have Nemanja Matic of six years ago and you wish you could have James Garner of six years in the future. But unfortunately, we can't have either of them at the moment. And I think the, the problem with Matic too is that, you know, he's great. his good performances are genuinely great, even even now. You know, the yeah, yeah. couple of games he started after lockdown, the first few that he started, he was brilliant. But his bad games are, are very bad. His floor is significantly lower than what you would want from a title-winning midfielder. Yeah, it, it feels like we've had a lot of players like that at United over over the yeah. last few years. Um, there are some other midfielders. I don't. I think people like Garner and, and Levitt. Are, it's not kind of worth discussing them because we, we don't know yet. Um, if it, if United were to challenge for the title next year, then they'd be nice young options to have. Yeah. But I, I don't think we can uh, re- really make a judgment on that yet because they're not going to be in that role yet so I think you you move on into the attack we've said we'll skip Bruno and, and Pogba because I think I think we both agree they'd be key players in a, a title winning team yeah absolutely yeah so we're moving on to, to Marcus Rashford on the left wing I've, I mean key player starting 11 it's probably one of those and probably key player to be honest I mean at this point I'm starting to wonder how many key players you can really have but I think hit both yeah. him and Martial yeah. for me at least for the next year would be key players oh, that's they've, they've proven it let's stick to Rashford think, now but yeah. I think Rashford has proven you know in the last year and a half his improvement has been 
really, really good. You know, and we, we criticised him a little bit, and especially I criticised him a lot. And when Mourinho was in charge, and the Mourinho mishandled him for one, but also I didn't think Rashford improved enough. And he, yeah, not that he was living off the reputation he gained when he first broke through, but I think there was definitely an element that he potentially wasn't scrutinised to the same degree as other young players because of how good he was when he first burst onto the scene. But he's really kicked on in the last year and a half under Solskjaer. And I think he's a key part of our future. So I, I'd, I'd agree that he's a key player going into next season. I don't think anyone can argue with that. And he's one of United's best players. On the other hand, in a Premier League winning team, I think for both him and Martial, I'd describe them as starters rather than key players. Because I think, I think if I, th- I think about the potential impact of Martial and Rashford, I think a brilliant player, a great, uh, great person to have in your team. But I don't, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I, I don't, I don't look at Martial or Rashford and think they're the ones who lead United to a title. I think they'll, they'll play a massive part in it. But you, you said, how many key players can you have? And I'd, I'd probably argue two or three in, in which case I'd probably remove the current Pogba from the situation as well and call him, a very good starter um and so then i'm thinking martial for me would be a possibly a starting player in a in a title winning team is he going to be a key player probably not but i think what we can agree on is he'll probably he could easily be in the starting 11 um but i think to be fair as as much as i've enjoyed watching him recently there is still quite a bit of improvement to go for him to be a starting player for a Premier League winning team. I think it depends if we're talking about key players in terms of, you know, these are the best players in the team. And in that sense, I think, you know, I think Maguire is quite clearly our best centre-back. Pogba and Bruno Fernandes are quite clearly our best midfielders. Martian Rashford are quite clearly our best attackers. Or whether it means the leaders in the team. And I think if you go in the leaders of the team, it's quite clearly, in my opinion, Maguire, Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford. I think despite the fact that that Martial is definitely on a par with Rashford, at least at the moment, I think Rashford is quite clearly more of a leader in our team than than Martial. And in that regard, I would put Martial maybe a a slight step down. But I think at at least for the next season, Martial would be a key player in my mind. I think he, he, along with Rashford, is are the people that you're, you're looking at to kind of drive this United team forward. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's just picturing a hypothetical watching United lift the title, which we hope we can do in the next five years, but we'll we'll see um, who is going to be yeah, the well, player that, where you look fair, back and say they won the league for United. And I, I don't think you would, don't think it would be either Rashford or Martial. And and if, if they carry on to improve at, at a quick rate, then it's very possible. But I, I, I can't, when you look back at past title wins for United and you think that the key players who won them uh, and not going through specific seasons, but Van Persie, Rooney, uh, Ronaldo, who else would you... I'm trying to think who you'd say for, for 99 is a bit more difficult because that was such a, a well-oiled team. Um, and, and perhaps... Well, I guess Roy Keane. Yeah, p- perhaps, but... Yeah, I think so. As as captain, yes. But and, and Cole and York, to be fair. Yeah, as that's well. what I was thinking because that you had that you. that joint strike force who also were quite often replaced by Solskjaer and Sheringham 
it's kind of yeah. harder to do it. But I think generally you you have... And, and from a leadership standpoint, Schmeichel as well, I think he was such a talismanic figure for that yeah, team. But generally you've got two players who stick out and I can't see though. I can see Martial and Rashford sticking out, but I can't see them being the ones you look back on. I think that was the Martial season. But I'm, I'm, I really hope he, he shows that to be wrong. And it's it's possible. Well, to be fair, I think I think at the moment the reason why it's hard to envisage that is because neither Rashford nor Martial has had a season where they've done it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I think partly the reason why I have a hard time seeing, you know, as you said, kind of this being Martial's season as as it was like Ronaldo's season in for a, you know a couple of years around two thousand eight, two thousand nine, or Rooney's season like it was in sort of twenty eleven to twenty twelve yeah. or twenty ten to twenty twelve, like. I think the reason it's hard to envisage Martial doing that or Rashford doing that is because we've seen them have spells where they are that good. Like Martial in the last three months is as good, maybe not as good, but is up there with, you know, some of the spells that we saw from some of United's best players in the past. You're Cole and you're Rooney Ronaldo. Yeah. But he's only been a- ever been able to do it for a couple of months. And so because of that, it's hard to see him doing it for a whole season and for that to be, this is Martial's season. Yeah. To be fair, his first season when he came in, scored 17 goals. And I, I I do kind of look back at that as the Anthony Martial season. It's just everyone else was so terrible. And, and that's kind of why it's the Martial season. He's the only source of fun watching Man United. Yeah. And, and we didn't, um, it, it, it's, we didn't win a title. And it was his season because he was the best of a bad bunch. And, and he was 19 at the time. And so 17 goals, you thought, that's absolutely incredible. We we should move on in a second, and we're going to talk about sales. So I I won't say the sold. So let's move on to we, we move on to transfers, and think about sales. We should be able to generate some money from sales this transfer window. As as of yet, we haven't done that, which is um, perhaps surprising. But we've got Alexis Sanchez off the wages, which is good. And then you think we should be able to get a decent fee for Chris Smalling if he leaves. I imagine he'll only stay at United if he's going to be first choice. And I don't think that's going to happen above Lindelof or Maguire, obviously. And then you think, can, can we get Marcus Rojo off the wages? Diordalo is one you could sell, but there's no need to really. Um, he's a good squad option. Lingard too is another one. Um, I think he'd even, I mean, Lingard would be still be missed without a replacement. He played a lot of football. Andreas Pereira could go, I think. But again, he'd be missed without a replacement because he too, as we've seen just a few minutes ago when we were saying he was our most played attacking midfielder, he would be missed without a replacement. So you've got these ones who could be sold this summer, Pereira, Lingard, Rojo, Dallow, Smalling, Jones, etc. But they, I think it's underappreciated the fact that they're not complete Deadwood, all of them. Jones and Rojo, yeah. But you do need at least some kind of replacement, whether it comes from the academy or or, or transfer, to replace people like Lingard and Pereira and Dallow and Smalling. Um, Smalling, not so much at the end there, but yeah. Yeah, we can't have it both ways. We can't go around, you know, bemoaning our lack of depth all the time and then also say we should be getting rid of, you know, six, seven, eight <laughs> yeah. players without signing any replacements. And that's going to be the challenge for United this summer. You know, there's already a lot of gripes on Twitter about our inactivity in the transfer window. And I think while that's a bit overblown and a bit premature, it's a, it is coming from a place, I think, of... We're all quite anxious, I think, to see how United manages to kind of retool this squad because there are some players that need to leave, like we mentioned Smalling, getting him off the wages. Lingard could potentially yeah. go. Pereira could potentially go. Rojo and Jones, I mean, should have been gone a long time ago. But it, <laughs> it's tough when you think that with getting rid of all those players, we're 
we're worsening our already bad depth. And so it's going to take quite a lot of signings to not to necessarily replace them because a lot of those players weren't on the bench every game anyway, but to at least improve yeah. from where we are at the moment. Exactly, yeah. And it's a tough summer to, to do that because of everything that's going on. We don't know what the transfer market is really going to look yeah. like. Um, we're going to talk about purchases in a second, uh, but an interesting point raised this week was how United lose money by not selling their best young players. Um, so Dion McGee left on a on a free this summer. He's on trial at Spurs, um, or, or so I'm told. Adrian Gomez left on a free to Lille. Demi Mitchell left on a free. Ethan Hamilton left on a free. And, uh, and look, United let these players go. They, not all of them, not Gomez and, and, and McGee were both offered new deals. But United partly let them go to ensure they have the best chance of developing rather than making them sign a new deal and, and hoping and holding out for someone to come in and give them 400 grand or something, um, which might not be the best club for their development. But with the better players like Gomez, McGee, uh, even players like Michelin and Hamilton could have been loaned out over the last couple of years and then been either kept or sold. Um, and it's an interesting point. Look, Chelsea get around 20 million extra a year by selling these kind of players. Is it moral? Depends how you do it. Um, Teeth Chong's just gone alone to Werder Bremen though, and he has a long-term deal at United. So maybe they're they're learning that you can you can loan these players out, get them good experience, and and maybe Chong will come back and and play for United, and that'd be brilliant. But if not, then he can be sold for five or ten million, and that's that's kind of needed when United face so many challenges now. Other clubs with the same amount of money. So that's an interesting point. But on on in terms of coming ins, um, we finished second place under Mourinho, and. That was followed by a summer of signings of Fred, Diogo Dalo and Lee Grant, which was pathetic. And I think that's a point we all look back on and think that that cannot happen again. As of yet, United have signed no one and it, it really cannot happen again. And whether it's Jaden Sancho or, or someone else, there has to be, I think, a minimum of three good signings this summer. And so far, there's still a long way to go, but there's only two or three weeks until the start of the Premier League. So far, we haven't seen any. Yeah, and I think what's been strange is that we're actually not strongly linked to that many people normally this time of year every player at any top club in Europe is linked yeah. to United most of them just you know plucked out of thin air but it, it's felt a little strange to be honest that other than Sancho there really hasn't been that much speculation yeah and I, I mean we think we've, we've ended up saying this every single summer since we started this podcast but this is a really important summer for United because we have so much to build on there is a lot of promise in this team yeah. for the first time probably since Mourinho finished second. And in, in and arguably, I'd say there's almost more promise in this team because it's a lot younger and the core of this side is a lot younger and looks like it will improve rather than you know, being reliant on the likes of Ibrahimovic in, in that Mourinho team. Yeah. So I, I think this is just, it's so important that we get this right. And I worry that we are waiting too long because yes, the transfer window is open for what, another six weeks or so and it closes, is it the 7th of October it closes? Something like that. October the 5th, yeah. The 5th, yeah. So we you know, we have another six weeks or so, but like you said, you want to get them in now, get them in for the whatever sort of cut short pre-season we're going to have and so they can start contributing straight away. We don't want to play the first month of, of the Premier League without these new signings. Yeah, well, that's something United never do. Um, and, and yeah, it's a, it's a sad truth of it. Um, we're going to run very quickly through some players. We've only got a couple minutes left. Um, yeah. Jadon Sancho, we spoke about him on, on the transfer special we did before the start of the Europa League. And I th- interesting, I think I've changed my mind. Um, I've said all summer that it would be great to sign him, obviously, but I understood how hard it was. Um, I still agree with that. I, I still think it's a really hard deal to do, actually. Um, and there's a lot of complications to it. 
but I really do now think that United should be willing to spend what Dortmund want on Sancho for three reasons. Um, firstly, there's there's no competition for this summer, um, and also his price isn't going to go down next year. And it's 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 either an investment for a decade or he'll be sold for as much as as he was brought. So he's a he's a great player. He's twenty years old. He's a title winning player, Champions League winning player, and there's not many, if any, of those players in United starting lineup. So it, it's probably worth the money. Um, there's lots of other players we could talk about. And yeah, I mean, the central yeah. deal is complicated, and I do have sympathy for everyone involved in it. But I mean, I don't think there's been a more obvious signing in history, has there? It, it just looks like such a slam dunk. A yeah, young exactly. English player can come in. And we mentioned this last last uh, time too. We can stick it to to City a little bit as well by signing him. It just has everything, and the only thing that seems to be holding us back is this sticking point over the fees. And I understand that you know times are not necessarily tough. You know, I don't, yeah. United, don't think it's genuine at all to say United are going through tough times, but uncertain times, I think, is fair. And I I, I get that, and I I get all the complications with it, but it yeah it, it needs to happen for the future of this football club. Yeah. It just is, and it, and there really isn't an isn't it's just a, worth it, isn't it? Another way to put it, it just is worth it, and, and it needs to be done. Yeah, and you just what what do I want my season ticket money to be spent on? It's Jadon Sancho, and and that's that's right. how that's how I feel as a fan. There's been loads of interesting other names hooked around. We've spoken about Sancho a lot, so we're not going to dwell on him anymore. David Brooks was mentioned; would be a really interesting kind of squad player to have a, a really good player and a, a nice option to have but if Bournemouth are going to demand 40 million you can't see United doing that and it's the kind of spending that City would do and that United should match but I don't think can or will um, not at the moment and, and you can blame who you want for that but that's just the truth but it's the kind of signing that would be kind of a luxury squad player to have that United haven't done for a while but would be really interesting Edinson Cavani was suggested by Louis Sahar as a free agent free agent having left PSG another really interesting one um, and, and Dean Henderson looks like he's coming back to United and that's definitely interesting Jack yeah I've got to say I didn't expect this I really thought United would stick another year with De Gea yeah. leave Henderson in, at Sheffield United for another year but I mean, it looks like it's done. Sheffield United are on the verge of signing Aaron Ramsdale from from Bournemouth, and Henderson looks like he said he's goodbyes. I'm very, very interested to see how this works because the I think honestly the worst thing that we could do is leave Henderson on the bench for a year at United. I get that it'd been you know good experience for him being around the squad, yeah. but it doesn't help us or him to have him sitting on the bench. He doesn't get any better the whole time. I just don't think anyone gains from it. So at yeah. the very least, as we spoke about. He has to be in a genuine competition with De Gea for that number one spot. Agreed, yeah. I mean, it, it seems to me that if he if we, we're we bringing him back and we clearly have known about this, if it's been in the pipeline, it's not like this is dragged out to the end of the transfer window. It looks like it's been dealt with quite early on. It, it seems like there should be some kind of plan in place, but I, I think mean, who knows? I think for me, you start De Gea in the Premier League and when it comes to the first Champions League game of the season, that's where you give Henderson his chances. Champions League, FA Cup, any... Any time you can give him a chance and then if or when De Gea makes a mistake or if or when Dean Henderson has an incredible run of form, then you switch it over when it's the, the natural time to do so. And I think that time 
if it, if it's going to happen, I think that time will be fairly obvious. Um, and yeah, but I, I think you have to be clear at the start of the season. You, you can't go in with uncertainty over the goalkeeper position. Um, we do need to wrap things up. There's, there's plenty more we could talk about transfers. We probably will do so when we come back for the new season. Next week, uh, we'll have an episode, a special episode on the making of Mason Greenwood. I've spoken to a few people who have watched Mason Greenwood for many years since he was a kid. Um, but that's it for the season review for the 2019-20, the penultimate episode of Series 5 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you as always for supporting us. Um, Jack, where can we find more from you on Twitter during the next couple of weeks before we return for the 2020-21 season in a very short amount of time? You can find me at, at UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. Thank you for listening as always. Thank you for listening for the, the very elongated season we've just had. Um, we really appreciate your support. And if you're interested, check out our patron at patreon.com forward slash man utd weekly pod pod at the end there have a great week goodbye sports social podcast network